0: I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Matthew Sweezy. Matthew is the principal of Marketing Insights for Salesforce.com, author, podcast host, multiple award-winning marketers, pioneer of the marketing automation space, and regarded as one of the top minds on the future of marketing. In this episode, Matthew and I talk a lot about starting his first business in fourth grade and how his passion for marketing helped him create the career he has today why we need to stop acting like B2B and B2C buyers are different, and why he believes we should think of marketing as a game. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about marketing differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Matthew. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started? How, what are you doing at Salesforce? How does all happen?
1: Uh, Those are, it's a lot of questions uh, to start off with. Um, So let's just start with my current position and we'll work our way back. Uh, So currently I am principal of marketing insights at Salesforce. And really what that job entails is I kind of look at what is the future of marketing and both disseminate that back internally to help drive um, whether it be product strategy uh, and then externally help make sure our customers and clients and then the world at large, um, has a better idea of kind of what they need to be thinking about moving forward. Um, so it's kind of pretty much the purview of currently what I do. And that entails a lot of research, both uh, helping internally with research projects, externally running my own research projects, um, writing, um, created a podcast called the Electronic Propaganda Society. I've got, That's like you mentioned, fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I've got the new book coming out. Um, you know, Harvard Business is publishing that one, so I'm super excited uh, and kind of humbled to be able to do that. So then the next question is, how did all that get to that point? Well, it's a, it's a long story, and, and I was talking with uh, somebody else the other day, and I like, said, so like, well, like, how did you get there? And a lot of people ask me this question, like, you know, how do we do what you do? Or, like, you know, why? And I, I try to – I've thought about this question a lot. I've been asked this question a lot. And it's like, you know, um, you know the career path, how do we do this? And I think people need to realize that th- th- there's people like me in, in every field. And I just naturally came out of the womb with a really attuned love for this thing that we call marketing and business, right? I started my first business in fourth grade, uh, made my first flyers, and I've always had businesses. I've got, um, for those that don't know, I also co-founded and own a brewery in Atlanta. Um, I've started, helped start multiple businesses. So it's, it's just something that's passion for me. And I think the other part is I just have a radical love for learning. Um, I'm just so nerdy and dorky in this field that, like, I just love to go down rabbit holes and find things. Um, and then those things inspire me to do other things. I mean, like, the, the, the book I've got coming out is really based off of um, the continuation of the theories of Marshall McLuhan. Um, when, and a lot of people don't know him. Um, and in my opinion, he's probably one of the, the most prominent um, thinkers in the world. Well, he is the, the, the grandfather of media theory, him and his, his old professor, Harold Ennis. Um, but I mean, like most marketers don't even understand what media theory is um, and, and it's stuff like that, that, you know, that, that really kind of jazzes me up and kind of, you know, helps me then, you know, bring a fresh perspective and a unique perspective on this idea that we think of as marketing uh, to everybody. So long and short, um, you know, came out just a natural love for the topics um, and just kind of keeps me going. And then that's just kind of spurred a lot of other things. I had a startup at one time um, way back in the day and then ran that for a couple of years. We were a SEO arbitrage play and had a very interesting monetization model. Um, more, more interesting, I think, than the marketplace was ready for at the time. Uh, so lost a lot of money on that. And then I ended up uh, moving from there over to a little startup called Pardot. I was employee number 13. And then we grew that up, um, and, you know, helped start the marketing automation space. And then was asked to write a book for Wiley called Marketing Automation for Dummies. And then ever since then, I've been on the thought leadership teams of every one of those companies that on the thought leadership team at Target, on the thought leadership team at Salesforce, and that's just kind of the long and the short of it.
0: I love that you mentioned people ask you, like, how do you get where you're at? It's like they're expecting this secret recipe that you're going to say, well, first I did this, then I did this. So if you do these things, you can be just like me. And I wish people would realize, like, there isn't one path to get a certain job or career that you want, especially yeah. today.
1: And, you and, and I, I think, um, you know, it, a lot of people talk about this in, in various different industries from different different ways. Right. Like, um, and I th- you know I think a lot of artists, uh, specifically musicians, are, are asked, like, you know, they'll be compared like, oh, you're the modern day Michael Jackson. And, and the response will usually be like, well, you know, that that person has already existed. I don't need to be another one of them. I'd like to be my own self. Um, and so that's just kind of, you know, to that point exactly of, you know, follow your own passion, follow your own way. And as long as you have an innate love for it and you're willing to go the extra mile because you enjoy it, and, and we can talk about this later, but you know, there's a great aspect of, you know, how do you make social media work? And if you don't honestly love what you are creating, you won't constantly create and none of those mediums will work for you. You know, it all starts with you have to have that deep seated love for what you're doing, regardless of what industry it is.
0: So it's interesting that you bringing that up because that's like one of the things like I know I personally struggle with. Like I'm super passionate about what I do and sharing that, but I overthink social media so much instead of just like throwing stuff out there and just sharing my thoughts and, you know, opinions on that. And it's something I know I'm personally trying to get a lot better at.
1: And everyone's trying to get better at it because it's constantly changing. Yep. Uh, it's, it's not a thing that anyone's ever going to be able to nail. I mean, there are some people that have nailed it and they have created such a massive, I mean, Gary V is a, is a prime example, yep. right? The guy has been a madman, but you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they say, name one other person that works for Gary Vee. And I can't.
0: But he has and, a ton of people working for him,
1: which is but, crazy. But here's the point, he, he's the only thing of that brand, right? So yeah. the brand is him, there is no other person, right? It's not a scalable model. Um, there is no other person working with him that we also know that follows the same model, right? It's, it's his personality. Um, back to the point, you know, he loves that personality. He's very controversial. Um, I, I try to stay away from controversy. Um, I hate it, um, and I accidentally get myself into it a lot of times, and I you know, just hate those days.
0: So one of the interesting things about the role that you've been in for a while is you have like a nice background in B2B marketing from your history and the, you know, being at Pardot and then ExactTarget and Salesforce, but you also have this other interesting component, which is being in a thought leadership role. You look a lot at what like a lot of B2C brands are doing. So thinking about both of those, because I feel like marketers today think B2B is different than B2C. And I'm just like, well, we're talking to the people. doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2C b2b or B2 b2c it's like to humans so what kind of commonalities do you see in how marketing has evolved today in both the b2b world and the b2c world
1: yeah and you hit the nail on the head of uh, so i have I've done a lot of research in this in this field um and what i've been able to determine and what i've i write in my upcoming book is is we need to really get past this idea of B2B and B2C. So let's first off start with why we use these acronyms. Uh, We use these acronyms because we believe that we have different buyers. And at one point in time, buyer behavior was radically different, hence marketing strategies were radically different. And that really boils down to two basic words, right? Considered purchase and non-considered purchase. And so we looked at B2C brands as things that were non-considered. And we looked at B2B brands as things that were considered, right? And so because those are radically different decision-making processes and, and how those decisions are arrived at, we had radically different marketing strategies. As we've moved forward in time and as we've gotten to specifically where we are now in time, we need to realize that all of those ideas are erased. And they're erased, once again, going back to McLuhan, this idea of all B2C and B2B buyers operate in the same media environment, meaning they're all changed equally based on the media they interact with. And this media changes their decision-making processes. And so if we start to think about this and the notion of, all right, it's no longer B2B or B2C, we need to realize that it's the amount of risk that's inherent to the decision the individual is making that shapes their journey. And all things are considered. And I think this is the biggest thing that marketers miss, both on both sides, is that now every purchase is considered. And when we need to think about that is, let's look at this from both sides. For a B2C consumer, right? Um, The statistic is that if, or well, this this is my favorite statistic to to point to this, is the data point. But the search term for best toothbrush, not best electric toothbrush, best cheap-ass plastic toothbrush, is growing at a 100% year-over-year annualized rate. That comes from Google. What we need to understand is we need to think about how people make decisions. So, And this is the heart of marketing, right? Decisions. So if a person is standing in front of a wall of toothbrushes in the local store, right? they are bombarded with a bunch of crap that we believe alters their opinions and shapes their decisions. And to some degree, that may be true. But we must put that in context of how this person is making decisions, because here's the alternative. Is that person going to believe that product packaging? Are they going to pick up that product and flip it over? Or are they more likely to pull out the telephone from their pocket and ask Google, what's the best toothbrush? And what we realize is that they want to find the answer on their own, and they trust the answers they find from Google. And so what we see is a radically new decision-making process. Now expand this one step further, and it's not just that they find one answer. Rather, that search is going to last for 70 seconds, and it's going to go across either four to five different websites, right? So this is now how they're making their decisions, because they can. And what we need to realize is the amount of risk in any decision is greater than the amount of time that it takes to ask a question to Google. So all All things will be considered because the risk is too great not to consider them. And the ease to ask the question to alleviate that risk is instantaneous. It's 0.38 seconds to get that answer. That's longer than it takes you to reach to pick up the product packaging, right? So we need to think about these ideas, right? And, and so it's all about the risk of, the, of the, the purchase. And then that changes all buyers, right? Because if you think about this from the B2B standpoint, we can say, all right, a person is on our, our site downloading a white paper. Most marketers aren't realizing that the person is not only on your site. If they're downloading something from your site, the odds are they're also doing that exact same action from three of your competitors at that exact same moment. Because they're asking a question and they're going to batch these answers together because the internet has changed that behavior and allows them to do these things, right? And so most people just don't put these ideas together. So to your point, right, B2B, B2C, yes, there are differences. Um, in terms of how these things operate. But the reality is that we've missed the boat and missed the major aspect of what is going on. And that is the media environment has radically changed every buyer. Um, And it's changed their behavior and most importantly, their decision-making processes. And that is what is changing what marketing must become.
0: I know it's exactly spot on. So, like to me, like the first question, hearing you like dive into that, comes up is how have we missed this mark? Like, what do you think has
1: caused this? This is a simple answer, Um, and so it's a really complex answer to prove out, right? So, I I hate to keep referring to the book I'm writing, but I mean that's essentially what this whole book was about: was trying to figure this whole thing out. And and so here's why I believe we missed it. I believe we missed it because we weren't looking for it. And so here's, here's the questions that we usually ask, right? As a marketer, we say, how, we say, how do I be better, right? How do I make this effort better? And that leads to an iteration, right? It says, okay, take what I did, and then how do I up-level that? It's, a, it's an iterative process. And that is what marketing has been since it's been created, right? It's an iteration. The problem is we've done these iterations without looking at the foundations of where they started and why they began. And so if we continue to iterate on things, we fail to look at the reasons that that game was created. And and so let's take a step back, all right? I I put in a new word to this conversation. It's a game. So I believe marketing is a game that is played given a specific set of scenarios. And when those scenarios in that environment changes, the games that we play must change, right? And, And you can use, you can sub that word in for tactics or channels or whatever you want. But from the high level schema, it's a game that we play. And we've been playing this game where brands believe that we can change people's actual uh, decision-making processes. We can convert people and do whatever we want to them via these these messages and these mediums and these channels and these campaigns and these strategies. And, And that was true at one point in time. And that point was called the limited media environment. So the idea that we have of marketing is specifically created in the modern idea that we have of marketing during the golden era, right? This is the last golden era of marketing, 1955, about 1970-something. You know, this is when, you know, Think Small, the BW campaign, this is the time that we have, you know, memorialized with the admin series or Mad Men series. Um, that, That was that point in time, advertising and branding's heyday. If we continue to iterate, we need to realize that the games that that environment created were specific because of the environment, right? And it was limited, right? Which means that the individual is living in an environment with a limited amount of media. When they only have a limited amount of media, their decision-making processes are as follows. You're going to have to remember things because you don't have access to media wherever you go. So you need to be top of mind because that is going to be one of the key places that people are going to pull from when they want to make a decision. Right. If you go back to that individual in 1970 and they're standing there looking at toothbrushes, they're gonna start racking their brain and saying, okay, you know, and they're not doing this consciously, right? This is all subconscious. But they're saying, okay, what do I know? What is my evoke set? What's the number one brand? Okay, I recognize this brand, let's go with that brand, I trust it, I recognize it. And that was the decision-making process at that time. But once again, that environment was only filled with business media. Because there was a cost of creating, a cost of distribution, and a limited amount of access to it. So it was a very specific environment of how people had access to media, how they made decisions, and how we as brands interacted with that. If we continue to iterate on that without understanding that fundamental foundation, we reach a point in time where we start reversing, and those things no longer work, and that's exactly where we are today. And so think about this, right? A couple of basic ideas, right? Foundational ideas. Um, right message, right person, right time. Right, every marketer is going to tell you that that is the apex. That's the goal that they want. That's the best thing that they can do. If they can do that, they're going to win. And it's total bullshit. And here's yeah. why it's the data actually supports this. Think about this. Um, so Larry Kim, I love Larry Kim. I love the the brands he starts, the way he runs his businesses, and the research that he does at WordStream, which is one of the largest paid search um, you know tools to help brands manage this. Uh, which is WordStream, which is one of the companies he started they've looked at the total amount of spend Which is billions of dollars of ad spend on Google AdWords that goes across their network and they've looked at the results the average Conversion on any Google AdWords is two point three five percent now that means that the highest apex of this idea of right message right person right time right because we need to remember these are programmatic ads that are being displayed based on the intent that a person is exhibiting in the exact moment. They are happening in the exact moment that question is asking, right? And they are programmatic based on lots of data points, right? Google knows like, 57 data points in every individual or some crazy number. And so we, we start thinking about that and say, wait a second, this is the apex. There will never be a higher apex of right person, right message, right time than this example. And we start to break that example down and realize that it fails over 97% of the time to drive any action, 97% failure rate on that idea, right? And then we take a step further and say, all right, let's go back three years. You remember when there used to be a right-hand side of ads on Google AdWords? They removed those. And why did they remove those? Two reasons. One, low engagement rate, because it received only 15% of all the clicks that AdWords had, meaning the remaining, what, like 85% went to the top. Uh, four that preceded the search results, not on the right-hand side. And then the second was they wanted to make sure it was a better experience, something that was consistent with mobile, right? And so when we start looking at all these things, it's like, wait a second. We had that theoretical idea back in the day before the technology was possible. Now that the technology is here, we've failed to actually say, was that even the correct idea? In theory, it's a good theory. In the reality, it doesn't work, right? But yet we continue to try to do that. thing, And then you follow that logic down with everything else. So how do we miss this? we were asking the wrong question. We were asking, how do we be better? Not, why do we do this in the first place?
0: So when you were talking about that, one of the things that popped into my head was, it's not, you know, we focused to your point on like, how do I get better at the things I'm doing? But then we also focus on, hey, there's this new, this new channel that just popped up. It's probably the silver bullet because so-and-so is doing it and they're doing well with it. And we kind of like, to some extent, like, I don't want to say, or, chase shiny objects and we're like squirrel, but kind of like squirrel, you know, there's something new. Let's go. And now we're managing, you know, what used to be a handful of channels to an obscene number of channels. And it's, how do we even know what's working and what's not working anymore?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You added a whole nother dimension to this, which is completely true as well. Right. So we're looking at compounding factors as to why we got here. And so there's two things. And I want to add one more to what you said. Um, So one, to back up your point, it's not This has been proven, right? We did the research in 2013 at Exact Target, And it was, uh, I think it's one of the subscriber fans and followers um, pieces. And these were, you know, the top performing content pieces, content awards given to these things. And what we found was marketers are the first to adopt any channel well before their audience is actually there, right? Because they're trying to get those big wins and chase those shiny objects. To your exact point, right? We've got the data to prove it. Take one step further. And it's also because... Marketing is weird because if we see something out there in the world, we believe that other people are rational and are following data to make their decisions.
0: Correct. But they're
1: not. Right? And and so we end up in this conundrum where your boss says, hey, I see ads for this other product. I don't see ads for our product. Make sure we put ads in this thing. You're like, you're a moron because we don't want you seeing ads because that means we're spending money to advertise to someone who could never buy our product, not to mention. Never you,
0: want to. Yeah,
1: just because you saw a billboard from your competitor doesn't mean that thing's doing anything for them, right? They could be making really bad decisions and you're just wanting to mimic them because you saw it. And, yeah. and, and that's the logic. So, I mean, we have to, like, really understand a lot of these things. And, and you bring up the next point to, to the, the measurement of a lot of these things, which is another ball of wax we can dig into. Um, you know, that, that's another massive problem is then how do we prove um, value on the things that we do, which is fair,
0: which is a, well, it's a great question because I think you know, people joke? Like I know half my marketing is working, but I don't know which half, right? But like Point. there's so much truth to that. Like I'm still mind boggled by how many marketers today don't actually measure what you they're doing. That quote
1: came from like the fifties,
0: right? I know when you couldn't really measure a lot of stuff.
1: And, and, and we still say that today and as amount, the amount of tracking that we have, it's pretty. And so here, all right, so let, let's talk about this one for a second. This is, what I think, one of my more controversial things I like to talk about. And I believe that brands and businesses have gone down a very wrong path. And that path is believing that ROI is a good metric to value marketing upon. Um, and it's not. And so this is not just something that I believe, right? These are conversations that I've had with a lot of other people. Um, and this, uh, and Dominique Cassans, he was one of the, you know, he was, I think he was CEO of the Marketing Science Institute, um, and he's a professor of marketing over at UCLA. But, you know, his quotes are, ROI is an efficiency measure, not an effectiveness measure. So if we're looking at ROI as the effectiveness of marketing and its value metric, it's completely off-base and completely wrong, and it leads brands astray in some very specific ways, um, so one of the ways he believes is it leads people to wrong investing because ROI does not have a linear return. Here's what, here's what that statement means. If you invest $100 and get a 20% ROI on that investment, then you say, oh great, that's great. I'm going to invest another $100. You will not get another 20% ROI on the second investment because you've already gone into that marketplace, already gotten the easy gains, and so now you're going to have to invest more money to receive the same ROI on the second investment, right? So, if you follow ROI, it leads to bad investments um, because you underinvest, believing that you will get the same things with the same investment on the prior, right? so that's one of the problems. The other problem is that it does not show value, right? it, it is a lagging indicator, it, it, it is not prescriptive, um, it is not holistic, right? so it is saying, okay, you did one thing, here's one of my favorite examples, this is the dumbest thing people ask, what's the ROI on an email? There's no financial cost to send that email. There is no financial direct return from that email, right? These are things that happen in between this. Sure, if people click and buy something, but then what do you do with it? Does that mean, oh great, someone clicked, we send that email to more people? Um, is that even well, a bit of- some out?
0: people think that's the answer.
1: Yeah, well, exactly right. And, you know, and it continues forward, right? It's not lagging, it can't tell you, it's not prescriptive, um, it's just a blinking red light. And most importantly, here's what this means for us. And this is the most important thing for us. And when I say us, I mean you, me, and every other marketer that wants to be a marketer. We need to realize that we have the shortest tenure of any profession inside of business. The shortest. Right? And so I can, I'm able to make that claim because I did the research. Me and LinkedIn partnered up. We looked at over, I believe it was eight years of data, looking at really like 15 million data points. And found that marketers have the average tenure of 2.6 years. That is the shortest tenure inside of any vertical and inside of any profession inside the business world. You want to know how bad it is? You buy a hamster, you're going to, that hamster is going to outlive your career at your current position.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, Hamsters have a lifespan (laughs) of three years. That puts it in perspective.
1: So here's the problem, right? It's not in a metric that our, our bosses or executives care about. Your executives, it is no bearing on their executive decision-making process, right? ROI of what? doesn't matter, right? We got, you know, 50 more likes. We have more downloads. None of those things actually matter to them. We have to find a way to transition and translate all of our actions into something that can live on a balance sheet, right? This is what we have to realize, is our efforts must be able to be translated to live some way on a balance sheet. And there's only one way I've found that we can do that, and that is called weighted pipeline. And to me, weighted pipeline is how we must look at marketing's valuation moving forward. It includes lifetime customer value. It then opens up and shows a full diagram of the actual customer journey. It shows us current demand, future demand, and more specifically, it gives us as marketers accurate places to say, here's where you need to work, and it starts to open up new ways of thinking. Let me give you some examples when I say new ways of thinking. So if we're to break out the customer journey, and we're going to break it out into stages. And I don't care what you want to call these stages. I'm just going to use numbers, right? Let's just say there's four. Um, and so we've got four stages. And if we start to measure three basic things, we start to measure the volume of people in each stage, we start to measure the velocity, how quickly they move from stage to stage, and the efficiency, right? How many people come in versus how many people move forward versus how many people drop out. We then start to see some very specific things and some very specific levers that affect revenue in radical ways. And specifically, let's talk about efficiency. If we have a four-stage journey and we are able to increase the efficiency, meaning just 1% more people come into that stage and go out of that stage into the next, and we can do that across four stages, that is a 40% increase in total demand. That is a 40% net new increase in revenue. You can't come up with a creative campaign that does that. And if you do it once, you'll never be able to do it again. So here's the point. If we start looking at holistic ideas and saying, all right, all these things that we did, they're increasing the efficiency, decreasing the efficiency, increasing velocity, decreasing velocity. We now get to have some very specific metrics. And then at the end, all of this rolls into a revenue number. And we can say specifically to the executives, here's the actual revenue that all of marketing is currently owning. This is what it will deliver at what point in time. And we now have that revenue number that is owned by marketing that helps the entire business organize and make better decisions. And that's really where I believe we have to go with this idea of reporting.
0: And that's the key. I think what you just said is that there's a revenue number owned by marketing. I am still surprised how many, especially marketing leaders today, don't want to be responsible for committing and owning a revenue number. That's how you drive, like prove your worth.
1: I think some people may think about that meaning a final revenue number. Right. So like this is how many sales we created this month. And that does create a very problematic thing because if you don't have control over all aspects of that, what I'm talking about is a weighted pipeline, right? So saying here's the demand funnel, however you want to call it, the the customer journey. Here's how healthy it is. Here's how effective it is. Um, And, you know, that then gives us the actual, it's a weighted number, right? So it's a whole list of things that we have full control over. Not just final sales, um, because for I mean B two B brands it's difficult for B two C brands. I, I don't I don't understand why they wouldn't want to do that. It gives them better value. But I guess at the same time it's scary. You know, you're, you're going to have to be accountable. Um, but with that, we also have another problem, which is most executives expect us to be able to produce short term results at at the expense of long term profit. Um, and that's another thing that we face, right? So they expect us to be these magicians that come in and um, and they have this, you know bad idea of what creative actually means and, and go, oh man, you know, like we're going to fire you because you didn't come up with this creative award that, you know, won at cons and, and, you know, got us the big hit. That, I mean, those are, that's a horrible way of, it's unsustainable way of running a brand. Um, if all you care about is big hits.
0: If you can't tell, Matthew's extremely insightful and enjoyable to chat with. And that's why I'm breaking my conversation with him into two episodes. So let's dive into my top three takeaways from the first part of our conversation, and then I'll share what you can expect to hear from the rest of my interview with Matthew in next week's episode. First, we all need to stop trying to emulate someone else's career and their life. I know it's tempting for all of us to find other marketers who we look up to and try to figure out how we can copy their career path. And I wish there was a secret roadmap that existed that could be shared and told you if you followed these exact steps that you'd have the same career success as them. But what most people don't realize is that success is made up of a lot of hard work, talent, and oftentimes luck. Being in the right place at the right time, whether that's being employee number three at a startup called Pardot that gets acquired for $100 million by exact target, and then later acquired by Salesforce, or finding the right mentor who helps guide your career decisions, success really comes down to finding what you're truly passionate about and working hard at it. Be yourself, not someone else. Next, we need to realize that every purchase now is a considered decision. Consumers want to find answers on their own. The internet and Google has made this too easy for them now to. The media environment has radically changed every buyer and that means the risk in any decision, and I'm talking literally any decision such as buying a toothbrush, is greater than the time it takes to ask Google about it. Think about that for a second. How many times do you search on Google before making even the simplistic decisions? Buying behavior has changed, yet so many marketers are still marketing like it hasn't. It's time for all of us to wise up. Finally, we need to challenge ourselves about whether or not ROI is the best metric for marketing to be evaluated on. Matthew raises a ton of really great points on this topic about how he believes ROI is an efficiency measure and not an effectiveness measure. And that often leads to bad investments. Given the short tenure of most marketers, 2.6 years, according to the research Matthew has done with LinkedIn, we need to be constantly showing how we provide value. His suggestion of weighted pipeline being a better metric to show how marketing adds value to the balance sheet is something that all marketers should start using. And make sure you check back next week where Matthew and I talk about why everyone seems to have an opinion on marketing and why marketers need to stop being order takers. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to love next week's. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit limovate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.